When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betches Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. We've been laughing a lot this week. Caitlin, how has the 118th Congress been treating you? Well, it has just been a rollicking ride. You know, uh, for <laughs> for five days, we didn't even have Congress. It was just, it was just you know, just chaos. You know, I, I get it. It's vibes. It's vibes. You know, 2023. Um, I kind of miss them. I kind of miss those vibes. I do because now it is the, the chaos that spawned was like at least amusing. Now it's just kind of exhausting. Now it's insurrectionists wanting to investigate the people investigating them. <laughs> yeah, not it's, every week it can be your week. And this one's like not really our week. Absolutely. Absolutely. It feels like a, a mob, like it feels like the mob got control of the police department. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Yeah. Have you guys found that I've had to like recalibrate my like nervous system because I keep forgetting that it's split government. So I'll see like House is still going to move forward with national abortion ban. House is still going to is looking at a born on alive bill. House is doing this. House wants to repeal IRS funding, and I do have to remind myself and my nervous system. It's like this will stop in the Senate. I mean, there are specific you know powers that the House has, but I I I have had to like really, really soothe myself and remember how government actually works and not freak out at all those headlines. Right. It is sort of like, oh, now we have to get in, you know, new talking mode, new talking <laughs> point mode because- Totally. Oh, definitely. Things have changed. And then you people ask you different questions like, well, what can they really do this? And it's mm-hmm. like, okay. You know, it would be, I feel- good to have some like flow charts, you know, maybe some like graphics that, uh, can they really do this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, no, maybe we can, we can, uh, work on that. Sure. <laughs> Revive schoolhouse rock, you know, just get, get that. <laughs> this is what a Republican Congress can do. I don't know. Someone's got to come up with, Kate- with something jaunty. Caitlin, I feel like I have been wanting to do like a Betchy Schoolhouse Rock for several years, but every time I suggest it, people look at me like I have 10 heads. But, you know, it's fine. You know, I'm just, I'm, uh, maybe, maybe it'll happen. I don't know. You know what it, Let it, us it know. needs an advertising yeah. jingle. It was actually created by a former advertising exec who was like, actually, let me use my powers of evil for good. My ability to get into people's brains and like reprogram it and like give 
children all of these jingles that they keep remembering for like chock full of nuts or something. Let me change it <laughs> to be like civics. And it worked. We will find uh, the millennial Don Draper and they will, <laughs> you know, contract them. Speaking of the 118th Congress, it is never a good day for any of us when Jim Jordan gets what he wants, and he's getting a lot of what he wants. Specifically, Republicans are hard at work creating make-believe jobs for themselves that involve little to no governing. One demand of the House Freedom Caucus appears to be materializing in the newly appointed, here it is, Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. The federal government has created a select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal of the federal government. There's definitely like an arrested development like or or office like meme here. Ridiculous. But the panel specifically will live under the House Judiciary Committee, which now is chaired by Jim Jordan, which is something I really needed to say out loud to uh, fully process and believe it. And it's aimed at challenging and undermining DOJ and FBI investigations into Donald Trump, both with regard to classified documents and January 6th. But Jim Jordan specifically seems convinced that the FBI has had it out for conservatives. This seems like it's been sort of like a, I don't know if it's been a slow building thing or a rapid thing, given that James Coney, Comey, like handed Trump the election. But ever since, ever since I guess Trump turned on, on him, Republicans are like, they, the FBI is weaponized against us. And now they are, you know, in a circle jerk about that. Yeah. The, here's the thing, like the FBI and the DOJ, these things were weaponized. They were just also weaponized. They were just weaponized under the Trump administration. And then the Democrats were trying to investigate that. But the difference is that there are not crimes. There's no, in, there's no sedition. There's no alleged sedition. And these things, you know, have also been looked into. Like Hillary's emails, Hunter Biden's, like these things have been well thoroughly explored and yes. there has never been a charge whereas there have been mm-hmm. people charged in all of these you know let's say the insurrection so it's this is it's like orwellian and at its core and that's like all that it is So what does it mean practically? Like I said, they want the right to review information behind these investigations and to basically slow down and sabotage them. This means Jim Jordan will have some subpoena power. And it also means, as I referenced earlier, that theoretically members appointed to this subcommittee could also be members subpoenaed by the January 6th panel. Uh, There's a representative named Scott Perry of Louisiana, and he could be put on this committee, the committee looking into why the Justice Department seized his phone, this man's phone. This guy specifically is talking about this and is like, yeah, I see no reason why I should be limited professionally because the justice department seized my phone. No reason at all. He's also really, um, his name is very frequently featured in the January 6th report and in many different branches of the insurrection, not elaborate. Yeah. You know, I actually have my Kindle right here. With my I highlights. I have the January 6th report right here. I know. I have the things highlighted specifically because well, – Yeah, because this guy, I have seen his name raised a few times, but he's not He's not, He's not. not sort of in like the main – he's not in the main credits usually. No. Usually you hear like Biggs, Boebert, Gosar, right, MTG. Scott Perry is relevant to the sort of behind-the-scenes jockeying at the DOJ to replace Jeffrey Rosen oh. with this – lower level director of a civil division named Jeffrey Clark. I know the whole, the Jeffrey thing really is, 
you know, it's subterfuge, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Basically, Scott Perry is the one who was in charge, who was like in contact with this Jeffrey Clark, who was going to then, who Trump wanted to elevate to the top of the DOJ. However, everyone under, everybody else in the DOJ would have resigned if Trump had done that and replaced Jeffrey Rosen. So that's why he couldn't ultimately do it. A similar thing appears to have happened in the intelligence community with Gina Haspel, where they were going to replace, if if she were replaced, then the entire intelligence, like basically swaths of the intelligence community were just going to, they had a quote, suicide pact to resign. So here is- Oh, that's, yeah. that made me feel chills. Jesus. Yeah. So this is, okay. So this is Scott Perry. I don't think this is first, this is not his first, um, first <laughs> mention, attempt. but okay. Yeah. Toward the end of December 27th, President Trump asked an aide for his cell phone number. Later that day, Representative Scott Perry called that aide to press the president's case to use the fake electors. Mm -hmm. Representative Perry was one of Trump's key congressional allies in the effort to overturn the election results. Representative Perry was an early supporter of the Stop the Steal campaign and, as noted above, addressed the crowd at one such event outside the Pennsylvania State Capitol in Harrisburg on November 5th, 2020. Representative Perry was also one of 27 Republican congressmen who signed a letter requesting that President Trump direct Attorney General Barr to appoint a special counsel to investigate irregularities in the 2020 election. The letter was dated December 9th, more than one week after Barr had told the press that there was no evidence of fraud. There was no reason to think that a special counsel was warranted. Representative Perry and other congressmen advocated for one to be appointed anyway. He also attended the December 21st Oval Office meeting with at least 10 other congressional Republicans oh, to discuss no. the strategy for objecting to the vote electoral college votes on January 6th. Along with 125 other Republican members of Congress, Perry also supported Texas's lawsuit against Pennsylvania. Remember when they sued the other states to be like, your election was bad? That is, Representative Perry supported Texas's effort to nullify the certified electoral college vote from four states, including his own state. Okay. Right. And I, I previously said Louisiana. I read LA. It's PA. It's Pennsylvania, like you've been saying. He, here's, okay. Then Perry, on December 27th, Perry explained to that aide, that original aide, that Trump asked him to call and that he, Representative Perry, did not think the DOJ had been doing its job on the election. Representative Perry brought up other unrelated matters and argued that the FBI doesn't always do the right thing in all instances. Quote, Representative Perry also brought up Jeff Clark. He said he liked him and thought that Clark would do something about this, quote, meaning the election fraud allegations. Clark claimed that the hackers have evidence in the public domain that a Dominion machine accessed the internet through a smart thermostat, that's that is. I mean, that's my last highlight I mean, about the FBI Perry. thing, and that now you are primed for how to react, why to react with rage if he is put on this on this subcommittee. Like it's just like I don't know. Yeah, the FBI has. I mean, historically had some shady moves, but this like this is just a landing page for their conspiracies. It seems this committee. Let's be honest that there are political, politically motivated things happening everywhere at every I'm gonna talk, yeah. Every government, small, large in the country. So the question is like, yes, probably politically motivated things have been happening amongst every single administration, but 
none of those things was trying to overthrow the results of an election. And like, that's the whole point. Right. There are, there are little investigation. The house investigates every single, every single house that is in Congress in session will investigate, you know, somebody for something. This is, this is unhinged. How do you interpret this move, Caitlin? Like what's, what's the worst case scenario for this? Um, wow. I mean, ultimately, (laughs) ultimately Republicans have decided that, um, they're going to investigate the investigators. As I said at the beginning, it's kind of like if the mob had control of the government, you know, like what they're doing is they're dismantling forms of accountability. And that's what people should really focus on is that it's, it's not like they're going to get used trapped in like a lot of little details. Oh, you know, like, you know, this is a persecution, like blah, blah, blah. But the real question is if a crime is committed, what should it look like? the the accountability for it, the investigation of it, the understanding. Like this is our government. It belongs to the people. Scott Perry was involved in a conspiracy to remove that element, our ownership of our government, from us. You know, like that that's really what January 6th was, was like the final blow against like us being able to vote for our government. He was just like, nah, Pennsylvania voters who don't agree with me aren't real. Mm-hmm. That's like, uh, to put it mildly, loco in the cocoa. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's like this is undermining the actual purpose of government. And they're going to keep us all distracted with like a lot of other things. Um, but ultimately what they're saying is we should not be accountable to anyone for any reason. There's We should not be accountable to voters. We're not accountable to the the mechanisms that we have to to protect voters. We're not uh, accountable to each other. We're definitely not accountable to the FBI, which is like, I just need to be clear. There's never been a Democratic head of the FBI. There's never been Democrats anywhere at the top of the FBI. It has always been conservatives. J. Edgar Hoover was investigating MLK. Okay, so like. People need to like step back a whole bunch because there's never yeah. been a FBI that's been against conservatives. It has always been in their control. The fact that they're yeah, this are is not a, a vast left wing conspiracy. <laughs> that's <laughs> Jim Jordan one talking point. Just absolutely that like belies the whole situation historically. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Ray was appointed by Trump. Like it just cannot be denied. Like almost every top official votes Republican inside the FBI. If anyone has a bone to pick with it, it should be Democrats who have historically had our completely legitimate political movements undermined by federal law enforcement repeatedly, intensely. So do you remember in 2016 they or 2015, they were calling really more 2016. They were calling the FBI Trumplandia. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. We know they're not infiltrating the KKK these days. Oh, how things change. Yeah. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. 
Since I started using Pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We will transition now to new members of Congress that we like. Yesterday, Representative Katie Porter announced that she'll run for Senate in California in 2024. There are, as of today, 664 days until November 4th, 2024, the 2024 election. It might be fifth. I might have copied that down wrong. Either way. In her campaign announcement, Porter flexes her ability to repeatedly win tough districts for Democrats, which she has done, and deliver for Californians in Congress, especially when it comes comes to things like consumer protection. She is, of course, known for her sharp questioning of witnesses at committee hearings, often with a whiteboard. And uh, notably, the occupant, this this announcement is interesting because the occupant of the seat in 24 has not signaled that they won't run. Dianne Feinstein would be 96 at the end of another six-year term should she run in 2024 and says she's waiting to announce her 2024 plans for the appropriate time. She's been in the Senate since 1992. So people have been waiting for her to step down for a while. Other likely contenders include Congressman Adam Schiff. I think that's that's kind of the big one as well as Rokana, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, and U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, Xavier Becerra. And there's also just a number of like state government leaders that are super popular who have put their name in the ring. Something to remember is that California's voting system, which will will very likely put two Democrats against each other rather than like two separate, you know, a Republican and Democratic primary. So um, whatever like ultimate top two there are. My at first when I, you know, saw this, I was like, oh, that's going to be a tough primary, but at least it'll be over after the primary. We'll stop fighting. But then I remembered, no, that's not quite how it works in California. So uh, general reactions to Katie Porter announcing a run for Senate. Felt a little soon. I hate picking apart something a woman does in this situation. Like, why can't she just go for it? But it's also like, would sometimes it's like, would it be if we would do it for a man? It's 
That's true. Good yeah. point. Okay. It felt soon. It felt like, okay, A, Diane Feinstein hasn't retired. She's not really even close to the, you know, it's not like, like she doesn't need to do 664 it. Days. She needs yeah. to retire, but like she doesn't need to do it like tomorrow or like even like next month. It's not like necessary that she does it this second. It also is like she herself is not so inevitable as the senator that it just seems like she was doing it to try to make a move. And then I feel like the move's going to be remembered for the move itself, especially considering that there like are a lot of other really quality candidates that probably share a lot of her views. Um, I know maybe she was trying to like use the bat, like go off the back of that viral photo, maybe, but like, I don't know. It still felt soon or if then it would have been impulsive or maybe it was part of that plan. I don't know. Just knowing that she has very high turnover in her office makes me concerned about the timing of the decision and, and like its impulsivity and was it – who was advising that? I mean, I, yeah, I'm curious. What what do you think she thinks? that I, I feel the same way. So I'm curious what you think, if you agree, Caitlin, and what the what she or her advisors think the benefits were to getting getting into this so early. Yeah. The only space where I, I disagree with um, with what Sammy said was that Diane Feinstein doesn't need to retire because she <laughs> needed to retire. Like, I really believe that he should have retired like a cycle ago. Like, I think that like I think she should have retired and let someone appoint to her seat because right now she is she I mean, she says things like it. I'm I'm worried about. I, like she's a legend, you know, and and I, I think it's important to establish that she's a legend, and I respect the fuck out of her. She also is not keeping that legendary energy right now. Uh, yeah, she's so hoarding the seat. It's it's kind of a problem, and the stuff that she says about like the judiciary committee and other stuff is very worrying. And so, for I guess Katie Porter's kind of. It's kind of it's kind of dark jockeying here, um, and I think it's kind of disturbing, but also kind of impressive that she doesn't. I maybe she thinks FI's not making it to twenty twenty four, which is a, a terrible thing. But also, she gonna be ninety six at the end of the next term. Like, yeah, I mean, it also signals that like apparently Adam Schiff has who did who reportedly did not really go hard for the speaker. Uh, the leader role against Hakeem Jeffries because he had decided he wanted to run for Senate. He has reportedly, not that I think this respectably is incredibly important to me or even to voters, but it might be important to some people who have influence. He's like, he went and talked to Diane Feinstein already. And like, it, it seems like he's, you know, deferring to when she decides to make, uh, to make that decision. I don't really think you necessarily, like, I don't think voters are like, that was rude. Do you, but I'm curious, do you think that, Diane Feinstein is going to be the kingmaker in this that ultimate Senate race. No, no we're both saying no. no. Okay, so then I don't think that was... in mind, Katie Porter. I'd I'd be like, I don't really care about upsetting her. I guess I'd be care about disrespecting her generally, but I don't think it's that bad. Voters like, are going to care, so it's not going to like that's all inside baseball, yes, she, where everyone decides whose relationship is more important. But the truth is this: you take the seat. People just got to owe you respect. Like you can't, you can talk about how you were respectful all the way, yeah. but if you can't win that seat, nobody cares about what you say and how polite you were to die by before she left. Like, 
Mm-hmm. I don't think of it as like really a respect thing. I but I still think timing wise, like because of the time mm-hmm. actually until the election, it was like very clear she was just like afraid of not being it felt to me not very clear, but that she was afraid of not being first, wanted to be first for whatever reason that there was some sort of value she put on that and maybe she'll be she'll turn out to be right, who knows. But I do feel that like the energy that Adam Schiff brought to that this this situation so far has been more senatorial than Katie Porter's energy in to this point. And that's just kind of how I feel like at the moment. I also think it's a little bit it's it's not just premature from a launch standpoint, um, in a big sense. It's also premature from the sense that she there was a tight count in her district to get her over the line. And it's it's not thinking big picture about the whole team. Adam Schiff has a lockdown district. Like, no, I, I walked through his district. The only way a Republican could possibly win that district is like some sort of like, you know, end of humanity uh, situation, <laughs> like zombies eat everybody in Hollywood because there's no Don't way give them any ideas, it. Caitlin. Stop it. <laughs> well, we won't have a government at that point, so I kind of figure <laughs> we'll be fine, broadly speaking. Didn't Katie Porter's district get redistricted and that's like part of it? But either way, right, to your closer. point, she still didn't perform well at like solidly enough that it was like inevitable. Yeah, it got redistricted by a, a Democratic supermajority. Like, she didn't get redistricted by Republicans. She got redistricted by Democrats, and it, she still didn't pull that over the line. And the fact that, you know, the question is, is her are her relationships in the state house strong enough if they did district her in a way that made it harder for her to hold that seat? Like, that might be a sign that her internal coalition isn't great, which is why she's getting out so far ahead to kind of force people to make choices earlier. There's a lot of like inside baseball stuff that like doesn't get seen by people. But like if she's announcing this early, it might be because she doesn't have the coalition and she's trying to make other people go on their back foot and think, okay, now I got to make calls. Now I got to check where people are. Now I got to do all this. And she's got the advantage of being a white woman. Uh, In this particular case, Adam Schiff has got a a little bit of uphill battle. He's going to be asking a man to take over one of the most feminist seats that's ever existed. (laughs) <laughs> in the last 30 yeah. years and he, he has to go like extra because by default a democratic woman is going to be like we're women in california are just gonna be like why are we replacing a woman with a man and yeah. even though he's that good you know like it's the same thing i would feel about uh, uh, in new york like replacing um like tish james with a man it'd be like To your point about Katie Porter and her internal coalition, to me, that's also like part of the turnover thing. Like if you're going to have internal turnover at your office, especially when you sort of the 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 image of that you put forth in like, you know, Congress itself is as being this like very inspirational for the people. And then you have very high office turnover. That would lead me to question the internal coalition thing. And then to your point about the seat, Completely. I agree with that. The only thing I do wonder about Adam Schiff is that because of the his prominence with January 6th, that he could win sort of more moderate-ish, especially if there's two Democrats competing against each other, that he would be able to win like more middle-of-the-road people in California, which like is a lot of Californians, to be honest. So yeah. And then people might just be like, I don't believe in that, you know, sexism, you know, that bullshit. 
Yeah. Like California politics is very specific and like rather than maybe wait for her to be anointed, she was like, I'm just going to be the first and then everyone's going to have to catch up to me. Like they can decide for themselves who's going to, you know, like rather than everybody else demurring to each other. And and here's the thing, who knows? And that's maybe the power move. She's very popular. But um, yeah, I I think this guy in um, Missouri also announced, he always announces against like the Republicans, against Josh Hawley. I'm not sure his name, but like I said, he always just posts a picture of him running tracking in college. Oh, it's um, Lucas Kuntz. Right, right. He's like in the military. Yeah. Yeah. He's running. Yeah. He posted a photo of himself running and um, because he's a a Marine veteran. And then he posts himself next to Josh Hawley running Running, out of the insurrection. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine for, you know, a six to at least a four to six month reprieve. From election talk. I mean, we do have some stuff in 20 this year. I mean, 2024 election talk specifically. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and a of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. All right, now let's discuss presidents and poorly placed classified documents. (laughs) You did it, Joe. So as vice president, President Biden brought some classified documents to a private office in D.C. They weren't discovered until early November 2022. There are 10 documents, including U.S. intelligence memos and briefing materials that reportedly cover topics including Ukraine, Iran, and the United Kingdom, and their dates range from 2013 to 2016. They were discovered when Biden's personal lawyer was cleaning out the office and went through a folder titled 
personal, filled mostly with documents and letters also related to Bo Biden's death. You know, still they shouldn't have been in there, but definitely a more wholesome place to find them than like among just Time magazine covers and uh, and like self-congratulatory materials like in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, and then according to CNN, then the lawyer saw the documents, they immediately called the right officials and were like, hey, I found this. Like, what do we do? Biden said that he was surprised to learn that any government documents had been taken to that office. I thought it was interesting. He used the passive tense. He was like, they were taken there. Who knows who? But they were taken. Uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland has received a preliminary report on the documents and now has to decide how to proceed. He specifically assigned that report to one of the two remaining Trump-appointed U.S. attorneys. So, of course, Republicans in the House are losing their shit about this. Uh, Republican James Comer, who now chairs the House Oversight Committee, has asked for all the documents. He's like, give them, give them all to me. Tell me who had access to them, which is interesting. It's very much like, so you, so you agree, mishandling of classified documents requires a thorough investigation. Look at that. And as for Trump's Mar-a-Lago documents, as a, as a reminder, special counsel Jack Smith has taken over that in addition to the inquiry into, into January 6th. So, you know, I have a useful graphic here that we're looking at. Sammy, could you take us through uh, comparing uh, the classified documents issue that Trump has versus Biden, just, just for scale? Well, generally, it definitely is not okay for officials to keep look at, keep or look at classified documents anywhere other than where their security protocols yeah, allow all, it. Yeah. So I definitely very curious how the documents got there, why they were there. Like, was it just an apart? Like, I'm just, I'm very curious to know how they got there, truly. The, the thing is that I believe there is a protocol for when someone has mishandled or retained mm-hmm. documents and you are supposed to report it. And it's like kind of that's part of the doing of government. Like you don't get kicked out of government or thrown in jail for like a mistake. That's reporting it and like rectifying it is part of the protocol. The thing that happened with Trump is that he the the National Archives knew that he had the documents. They asked for them back. He said no. They had to get the DOJ involved and negotiate essentially a hostage situation over the documents. And then when he wouldn't give them back, they sent in the FBI to seize them because he refused to give them back. Um, that is, I would say, the biggest um, the biggest difference and the biggest issue. It's it was his refusal and his hostage taking of these documents, mm-hmm. and the denial saying that they were declassified. Ver- he declassified them in his head. You know, it, there was no real cohesive uh, defense of it. And then the, in terms of the contents, we know that those possibly contain something about nuclear secrets. Um, and yeah, that I would say those are like on its face, the most mm-hmm. obvious differences. And then I could get into a bunch of like opinion, my, my differences of opinion. But yeah, that's a, yeah. Well, I also uh, think that it's a because also, you know, as I was making this section, you don't want to be, you know, obviously we are self-identified progressives. We are going to have double standards. That is what we do. That is part of framing. That is part of getting people uh, worked up when it is important. But, you know, reading through this, I was like, you know, I really didn't want to be like to have too many double standards. But for all, all of the reasons you just said, I am fine with saying it's not as bad, obviously. And also, you don't, it's a lot easier to accidentally take 10 documents than to accidentally take 325 documents, which like, I'm just fairly convinced that it was an accident, whereas Donald Trump, I'm less willing to, of course, be like, it happens. Mistakes happen. I don't really want to get into like the nitty gritty of why like Trump, you know, Trump's was so much like yeah, worse. And we don't and, have like, to. 
And, and I mean, there's also things about the classification. He took hot, you know, top, top secret classified documents. There were like 10 of those documents yeah. plus the other 200 something that were just regular classified. And yes, to your point, the quantity, but I think ultimately the real distinction is that he fought to keep them. Whereas this, if this thing yeah. does sort of happen and maybe someone could get us a number on how frequent, you know, how many mishandlings mm -hmm. of classified documents there are and like how they're typically rectified. But I do not think that in 99% of cases that uh, the DOJ is, is like, yeah, sure. You know, you could just, we'll just let, we'll negotiate with you that you can keep right, them. Right. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This one has sentimental value. Can I please keep it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that is yeah. definitely the very, very, very key distinction to the extent it's necessary to make one. But I would put this uh, at level of seriousness around uh, Hillary email server levels where like, the correspondence yeah. happened, yeah. but there's a, the, the section that <laughs> governs this says knowingly and intentionally. There's There's got to be a level of intent to removal. There's got to be a level of intent to maintaining those documents. There's got to be dissemination um, that's willful. Um, yeah. And the keeping and security of those documents has to be reckless. Like there's a certain amount of recklessness that has to be done. These were so well kept that he didn't remember he had them. They were mixed up in papers. It's really important to remember, um, according to a lot of national security people, yeah, mishandling happens uh, pretty routinely. It's not that it's like all of our papers are going everywhere all the time, but it's paper. And the mm -hmm. same way that you look at your office and you've ever, unless you are, God bless you if you are, but <laughs> the rest of us <laughs> generally can't find something immediately among our papers knowing exactly where it is. And that's like with our receipts for tax season. It, I fully expect that people like even important data can get mixed into things. So it's not necessarily that like, oh, you you took this this folder. That's not what people were mad about Trump about. It was, again, that intentionality. You don't accidentally end up with hundreds of secret documents. Top secret documents are particularly sensitive and particularly marked and particularly framed and particularly stuffed in very specific envelopes, you can't accidentally take a top secret piece of paper. It's not like intelligence briefings, which are handed in and like these things. And like, yes, some of them might have sensitive information, but a lot of the times it's going to be stuff that like gets disseminated to the news later. Honestly, mm -hmm. that's what intelligence services are there for as well. Um, some of it is going to be sensitive, but some of it is honestly going to be stuff that we probably heard about in between then and now it's 2013 so except for maybe the iranian stuff i'm guessing that it's not going to be as sensitive and yeah it probably thing. says like russians preparing to buoy reality <laughs> star for a president in 2016 <laughs> yeah exactly. we should put this in our schoolhouse rock <laughs> yeah. how, how to handle classified documents yeah but the point is is that like unintentionally having classified information isn't bad it's about what happened it's like it is a lot like stepping on someone's toes. It's going to happen. We all walk around, et cetera. But like, do you acknowledge it? Do you apologize? Do you try to keep better track of your feet going forward? 
that's kind of the best you can do. To give do it back. Because, yeah, well, yeah, well, in this particular case, uh, the metaphor doesn't quite work. But yes, the yeah. documents, just give them back. When someone says, oh, uh, you seem to have documents here. Another thing, his lawyers saw it, not him. Mm-hmm. They immediately contacted the archives. They immediately were like, whoa, this doesn't belong to him. This doesn't belong to us. We are in contact with the government. We are following protocol. Th- there's a reason there are protocols, as Sammy said. For this, because it happens enough that it's not going to destroy, it's not worth destroying people's lives over. It's it's when you you don't, it's when you start fighting people. No, 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 I need to keep this classified information. What For what? For what reason do you need to keep this classified information, former president, who's launched an insurrection against the United States? For, for what reason? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can think of a few. <laughs> In that particular case, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. It's like the reasons for Trump taking these things feel nefarious. You don't think of like an innocent explanation. Yes, but I think that's everything you, you both have just said gives us like legitimacy to like it feels worse and 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 you've all explained why like yes but it feels worse because it is considerably worse because of like x y and z right but you know that just to your point about caitlin it's on the level of hillary's emails that means it's on like the level of nothing and the Mm -hmm. level of literally everything which is it's (laughs) deeply frightening so yeah because you know we're never going to stop here like basically now the document stories cancel each other out you know, it's, yeah. you know, the only, it's sort of like in a PR war. But the thing is, is that there's an insurrection that's still right there. Like, no matter what, well, that's we kind of have thing. to work our way around the fact that, like, this man tried to take over the government and install himself as dictator. I feel like that kind of puts all the rest of it in a very different light. Because Hillary Clinton is like, what, now, now teaching at Columbia? Like, she's I'm writing not, novels. She's writing, she's writing novels. She's. You know, she she had her memoirs, you know, like, I don't, I don't so, think it's the same scale as like, there's nothing nefarious to the degree that there is. She's just a grandma oh. who doesn't know how to use her email. That's why she kept asking to be printed out. So does Trump, though. No, I completely agree with you uh, that it's, obviously she is just not a threat. But my point is, and I agree, I actually yeah. think the American people generally respond more to the insurrection than anything else because they it's just it's the most elemental and i think that like ultimately although it doesn't seem obvious i do think that is the strongest argument yeah i think that that honestly the characterization it's like okay fine we can't get him on documents although there are indictments sitting there there's all this stuff the major thing is that that you can't assume positive intent you can't assume innocence you can't assume any of this because this man would not let an election go that he lost. He is still insisting that he should be installed as president of the United States, regardless of what voters think. That's such a disturbing thing. They think that like it's impossible not to mention it every single time his name comes up. And I think that like that's the kind of yeah. thing that, that should be done when you're framing the story, which is that Joe Biden went on to become president of the United States. He took that oath seriously. He believes in it seriously. He gave things up when he was left in power and he's responsible now that he's in power and this guy is the absolutely not in any way shape or form and that's what we should expect out of our elected officials is that they should comply with the government that they will exert power over when they are and when they're not they respect the limits of their power here here 
Here, here. That is our show. <laughs> Until <laughs> the end of Democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. And for Sammy Sage and Caitlin Bird, this is The Betches of Podcast. The Betches of Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.